Right, so we've got to the end of Acts. Uh, we've been doing this for, I don't know, the last six months or so, and Paul finally arrives in Rome. Uh, and it's a bit of a cliffhanger, um, but more of that later. So there's two things, that, two parts, this uh, me speaking to you this morning. So the first part, I want to explore the passage a little bit that we've had read to us today. But then I want to give us time to step back to the whole and sweeping arc of the book of Acts and see what sort of falls out of it. Where does that leave us? It was a nice story, but what does it mean for us today? So let's start with that. Re, uh, the, 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 let's just go verse by verse uh, through the passage uh, that Nate just read to us. So just a reminder where we are in the story. Um, in the sort of last six uh, chapters or so of the book of Acts, uh, Paul has basically been put on trial. He comes back from his last missionary journey. He's put on trial, um, and then he goes through a series of, uh, of well, sort of trials. Uh, he, he meets with the Jewish council. Then he meets with, he moves up to Caesarea. He's taken to Caesarea, and there he meets uh, one of the governors, uh, Festus. Then he meets Felix. Uh, then he eventually meets the king, uh, and eventually, uh, I think Paul senses he's not going to get justice here. And so he appeals to Caesar, and then um, the governors say, right, well, to Caesar you will go. And so starts this last journey all the way uh, to Rome. And we know on the way he gets shipwrecked. Uh, John spoke a bit about what happened in Malta, just south of Sicily. Uh, and today we have, um, uh, just before today's passage, we, have, we hear that Paul left Malta, uh, which is just south of Sicily. He went up to Syracuse in uh, Sicily on the eastern coast, went through the Straits of Messina. That's the, the little bit between the football and the foot of Italy. And then he went up the western coast of Italy, uh, and eventually he arrives um, uh, there. Uh, he arrives in a place um, called Puteoli, which is the commercial port, which is on the coast, and then he begins to head towards Rome, a final day's walk uh, on the Appian Way. And I wonder how he must have been feeling on that way to Rome, you know, the most powerful place in the world, the centre of the Roman Empire, the centre of power, Paul, walking there with a few friends on trial. It must have been a bit daunting. But then something beautiful happens, which we didn't actually hear in the passage, just before this passage. In verse 15, we read, Friends in Rome heard we were on the way and came out to meet us. One group got as far as the Appian Court, which is 43 miles from Rome on the way to the coast. And another group met us at the Three Taverns. Sounds like a seedy pub, doesn't it? It sounds a bit... Uh, you can imagine that. On the way, at the Three Taverns they meet. Uh, and... Um, Luke, who's writing and is with Paul, says, emotion-packed meetings, as you can well imagine. Paul, brimming over with praise, led us in prayers of thanksgiving. What a welcome. And what do you think especially lifted Paul's heart that, that led to that, that, that brimming, that, that overflowing uh, joy that he must have felt at meeting these? Well, it, surely it was the sudden realization that he wasn't alone that here was the church. And let's remember, Paul had never visited Rome before. Uh, five to ten years, we're not quite sure exactly when Romans was written. He'd written a letter to the Romans, introducing himself uh, and laying out the gospel and the good news for them. And in that letter, even he said, I long to visit you, as he closed the, le uh, the, the letter. 
And here he is now finally arriving. And some people think, actually, after the persecution of, the, of Stephen, uh, the, the persecution that followed the, martyr, the martyring of Stephen in, I can't remember, seven or eight, um, chapter seven or eight, um, that the church then scattered. And some people think the first church that actually was planted was Jews ending up in Rome. So there is a thriving community of followers of Jesus here in Rome. So Paul must have been encouraged, delighted as he entered into Rome. And in verse 16, we read, when we actually entered Rome, they let Paul live in his own private quarters with a soldier who had been assigned to guard him. So Paul's a Roman citizen. He would have been treated a little bit better than a slave, definitely. Uh, Some preferential treatment. He gets to live in his own house. He would have been gently, as one one writer put it, gently chained uh, to this soldier. Um, uh, and maybe not chained all the time, but there was, he was definitely still under house arrest, and this particular um, soldier, you know, if, if Paul ran, he would have been killed. And so it was still pretty serious, uh, and there was a soldier. I wonder what it must have been like being that soldier, being chained to Paul for two years under house arrest in Rome. Do you think he came to know the Lord? I suspect he probably did, don't you think? But in this place, he's able to host regular meetings that reach Jews and Gentiles alike. In verse 17, we then read, three days later, Paul called the Jewish leaders together for a meeting at his house. I think there's something wonderful in the fact that to the end of the day, wherever he went, Paul began with the Jews. First, he went to the synagogue. Obviously, he couldn't go to the synagogue this time because he was under house arrest, so he invited them to his house. For more than 30 years now, the Jews had been doing everything they could to hinder him, to undo his work, and even to kill him. And even yet, it is to them first he offers his message. What a beautiful example of indefatigable hope and unconquerable love, don't you think? In verse 20, we read, For this reason he speaks to them, I have asked to see you, And talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. So Paul immediately, directly there come, he moves to the objective to talk to them about Jesus. He calls him, he calls Jesus the hope of Israel. And this messianic hope burned in the life of every Jew. They longed for the day the Messiah would come. And let's remember that Paul was not preaching a different religion. We often think of that today. Christianity is different from Jewish. No, he was preaching that Jesus, the Messiah, was the fulfillment of Judaism, which they were all expecting, the Messiah they longed for. And the longed-for Messiah was here, was Jesus. They said to him, Nobody wrote warning us about you. No one has shown up saying anything bad about you. I think Paul probably might have expected this. But actually, what I think it indicates uh, is that actually no message did come. No message was going to come. Why? Because the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem seems to have been content to see Paul packaged off to Rome in chains to take his chance before Caesar. Evidently, I think they concluded they had little chance of convincing the Supreme Court in Rome if they'd failed on three progressive occasions locally in Jerusalem and Caesarea. Verse 22, we then read, but we would like very much to hear more. 
The only thing we know about this Christian sect is that nobody seems to have anything good to say about it. So they clearly, they seem to be professing ignorance of Paul, but they surely could not profess ignorance of Christianity. It was, of course, there was this thriving, growing community of Jesus' followers here in Rome, wasn't there? So they must have had considerable experience with this new movement of Jesus' followers. In verse 23, we read, The day arrived, and they came back to his house, and they came with a number of their friends. This house must have been packed. And Paul talked to them all day from morning to evening, explaining everything involved in the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them all about Jesus by pointing out what, what Moses and the prophets had written about him. So Paul first here testifies about the kingdom of God. And of course, this was again still the rock and foundation of Jew Judaism, of the Jewish faith. Um, uh, so he, he's almost saying to them, look, I'm just, I, I just want to remind you, I am a Jew. I am you. You are my people. Uh, and I'm true to that. This is my ground. This is my foundation. But then he goes beyond. He persuades them concerning Jesus from their own writings, from Moses and all the prophets, from the law and the prophets. He goes back and shows them that Jesus was prophesied and Jesus is the Messiah. And then he will have confronted them with the need for personally responding to Jesus as their Messiah and personal saviour as the means to enter fully into the kingdom of God. And then we have, find out what happens, verse 24. Some of them were persuaded by what he said, but others refused to believe a word of it. This picture of a divided synagogue is a constant theme of Acts. Wherever Paul went, there was division. Some, a few believing, many resisting and violently opposing Paul. And as a whole, the synagogue refused to accept Paul's witness to Christ. This had been the tragic story in every community that he visited. And you can see in the end, Paul comes to a conclusion. He's done his best. There's still division and debate. And it's implied in his quotation from Isaiah, which also Jesus also quoted, by the way. Let me just read to you verse 27, uh, the, the closing bit of it, which I find really, it's moving and it's kind of sad, but it's also beautiful. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. God's longing to heal, to restore, renew each one of us. And then in verse 28, Paul concludes to them, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. And boy, does he not know. He's been doing that on all his missionary journeys. He's been seeing the fruit of that. And they will listen, he says to them. But of course, even in this situation... Uh, of so many in, uh, in the Jewish community not listening, we see God's hand at work, don't we? Always working for good, always renewing, remaking, restoring. 
the door which the Jews shut was the door that opened to the Gentiles and down through two millennia to you and to me. And then we read uh, finally about what happens next. We might think that all this house arrest time would be a setback for Paul because his heartbeat is to be on the road, isn't it? To plant churches, that's what he's been doing and now he's chained and comprised to house arrest. Far from it. We read in the final two verses of Acts 30 and 31, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without let or hindrance. The book of Acts comes to an end with a shout of triumph. William Barclay writes, in the Greek, without let or hindrance, those two words are one word, and that one word falls like a victor's cry. It is the peak of Luke's story. And here we leave Paul unrelentingly announcing the kingdom of God and boldly teaching all about Lord Jesus, the Messiah, totally unhindered, all happening right under Caesar's nose in Rome. And not only in that, imprisonment gives Paul the space and time to write some of his most important letters. They're known as the prison letters to the Philippians, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, and his letter to Philemon. And these letters are filled with remarkable joy and rejoicing. And during this time, of course, he was not alone. There was, of course, the thriving and growing community of Christ followers around him. But also we know Luke was with him. Luke had traveled with him. Uh, we know that um, uh, Tychus was with him, Epaphroditus with him, Mark visited him. So he was surrounded by fellow followers, by fellow believers. And what happens next? Well, it does feel a bit like a cliffhanger, doesn't it? We want to know what happens to Paul. It feels a little bit like Netflix, and we've got to sort of episode four, and we're desperately waiting to hire whatever happens in episode five of whatever we're watching. Um, well, tradition says that Paul was released after two years, and there's lots of good reasons to believe that. I won't go into them now. Uh, and then the thought is that he then had freedom. He then traveled. And there's, there's thought he traveled to Spain, which was always his intent. There's thought he actually traveled back to Ephesus, back to, which was, again, had been his pattern on all the missionary journeys to go back and encourage the churches that had been planted. Or whatever happened, at some point he was imprisoned again, most likely in Rome, and there he will have been executed. Uh, possibly during uh, the Great Persecution, uh, when there was a, a, a fire in Rome and Nero blamed it uh, on, on the Christians. So why does, not Luke, why does Luke stop the story there, I wonder? Well, the, mo the reason I think is that it probably wasn't Luke's purpose. He wasn't telling the story of Paul, he was telling the story of the spirit and the gospel and the growth of the church. Um, at the beginning, Luke gives us the scheme of Acts when he told about how Jesus commanded his followers to bear witness to him in Jerusalem and all over Judea and Samaria and away to the ends of the earth. Now that tale has finished. The story that began in Jerusalem, it's got to Rome. It's nothing less than a miracle of God. The way the story in 30 years and the message of Jesus, the good news of Jesus has spread across the Roman Empire. 
the crucified, the story of a crucified man of Nazareth has swept across the world in its conquering course until now without interference or hindrance it is being preached in Rome, the capital of the world. Luke's task is at an end. So that's the passage. So now I just want to step back and let's just remind ourselves of the book of Acts. This is, after all, the last talk, um, at least for now, on the book of Acts. I think it's worth just trying to capture a bit of the sweep of the story of Acts, the sweep and scope. So with that in mind, on Friday morning, in preparation for this talk, I listened uninterrupted, which I've never done before, uh, to a whole book. And I listened. So if you, you can do this, actually. You can all do it. version app. It's got an audio. You just, it's all free. You can use it. And there is a beautiful voice, a proper Shakespearean English voice, not a nasty American voice. Sorry, Nate. Um, a proper, spoken properly with the Queen's English. Um, and I listened to the, this beautiful recount. Uh, for, it took me about two hours from end to end. And it really, it's a gripping story. I really encourage you to do that. It's, a, it's, the, it's the time to take a Netflix film. Uh, have a go. It's really worth it. And inspired by this, I thought I'd have, a gig, I'd have a go at giving you a whistle-stop tour through Acts. Are you up for that? Are you up for that? Okay, let me give a go. It's only going to be five minutes or so. So it's a bit like, do you remember they used to do Shakespeare in one minute or something? Those crazy... Well, I feel a little bit like that, without the humour. So, Luke's narrative begins in Jerusalem. At the outset, we find ourselves with Jesus and the apostles before he ascends, teaching and preparing and encouraging them for the mission ahead. And after Jesus' ascension, the apostles receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Immediately, they head out to Jerusalem to preach the good news, and Peter preaches to people uh, in this first, maybe the first sermon, you might want, like to think. 3,000 believed that day, the day that Peter shared, and, and they were baptized, and the first church, arguably the first church, was planted, filled with the Spirit. Peter and the apostles continue to preach and heal in Jerusalem. And as a consequence, come into confrontation with the Jewish religious leaders and they're imprisoned and then released. And exactly the same cycle happens again and maybe again. They go out and preach. They're arrested. Uh, they go back into prison. They're released. And throughout uh, Acts, Luke gives us like a little um, progress report. And here's the first one. In chapter 6, the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to faith. Then Stephen is arrested. He delivers his beautiful, spirit-filled, uncompromising message to the Jewish council in direct response. He's stoned and he's martyred, with Saul looking on, uh, approving all that he saw. A great wave of persecutions began that day, sweeping across the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers scatter across Judea to the north and Samaria. Yet, as a result, the good news about Jesus spread and the church grew. And so the story expands from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria. And in a dramatic plot twist, Saul the most outspoken and passionate persecutor of the early church, 
dramatically encounters Christ as he travels to Damascus to chase down those scattering Jesus followers. Saul, renamed by, as Paul by Jesus, is welcomed in the church in Damascus, is filled with the Spirit, and immediately he too begins preaching boldly in the name of Jesus in both Jerusalem and Caesarea. And in chapter 9, we have Progress Report 2. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it was multiplied. And now, in a second dramatic plot twist, the good news about Jesus spreads to the Gentiles too. Peter is led in the spider spirit to encounter Cornelius, a Roman centurion and, of course, a Gentile. The Spirit leads Peter to share the good news about Jesus with Cornelius, and all who heard the message that day were filled with the Spirit too and were in turn baptised in the name of Jesus. And the church rejoices in the fact that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of receiving the good news and the Spirit of Jesus. And now the story expands again. From Judea and Samaria, northwards, north to Cyprus, Phoenicia, and to Antioch, bringing the good news about Jesus to many Gentiles. The church at Jerusalem then sends Barnabas and Paul to teach and encourage the growing church in Antioch. And it was at the church in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. And we have Progress Report 3. In chapter 12, the word of God grew and multiplied again. Now Acts turns from a focus on Peter as the central character to Paul as the central character, as the narrative shifts to a series of outward-growing missionary journeys across the Roman Empire as the good news of Jesus expands in ever-widening circles. The first missionary journey sees Barnabas and Paul sent by the church to Antioch, uh, sorry, sent by the church at Antioch. They travel all the way around Asia Minor, and that's sort of modern-day Turkey, always led by the Spirit. It's one of the extraordinary things. The Spirit always leads them to the next place. Every way they share the good news about Jesus, first with the Jews and then with the Gentiles, and the Spirit guides them and empowers them to speak boldly and to heal. And eventually they come back to Antioch. And we have our fourth progress report. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And now we have an interlude, the Council of Jerusalem. And here it is agreed to not, not to impose Jewish customs on the new believing Gentiles, specifically circumcision and detailed requirements of the law of Moses. And this is welcomed by the Gentile, predominantly Gentile church at Antioch. And so the second missionary journey begins, as sees Paul and Silas this time sent back out to Asia, Minor, where they encourage the churches first that they'd planted already in Asia Minor. And we read another progress report. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And then Paul and Silas, led by the Spirit, travel further, finally reaching Europe. They travel right round the Aegean Sea, visiting some of the major cities, the largest cities in the Roman Empire, Corinth, Philippi, Ephesus, Thessalonica, and each place planting churches and preaching the word of the Lord and healing. 
and growing the churches. And eventually they return once again to Antioch, the end of the second missionary journey. And on the way, revisiting all the believers and encouraging and building them up as they go. And then we have the third missionary journey. He sees Paul once again head out again to encourage all the churches that he's been involved with. Through Turkey, through Asia Minor, all the way around the Aegean once more. And in Ephesus, on his way back, where he spends a number, a little, quite a little while, we read recently he finally triggers a, a citywide riot by threatening the silversmiths who trade in idols. Uh, and as their trade collapses after he persuades all the new believers that handmade gods aren't gods at all. And this is where the new believers made that giant bonfire we, read, we heard about a few weeks ago of all their incantation spellbooks as they cast aside their old ways. And we have another progress report now in chapter 19. So the word of the Lord grew and prevailed mightily. And now Paul returns to Jerusalem the last time. And that's where today's passage picked us up and we hear he was put on trial. He eventually ends up in Rome. And then we have our final progress report, which we've already heard today. The last verse of the book of Acts, with this picture of Paul preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ openly and unhindered. So in closing, what does this all mean for us today now? Well, as I read through that passage, you know, three verses really resonated with me um, as I was just thinking, you know, what, what to share in, in closing. The first is in chapter 1, verse 8. And a lot of people, when they're commenting, a lot of the commentators on the book of Acts really go to this verse as the verse that captures the heart and the spirit and the direction and, and, and summarizes what this whole book is all about. Chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you, and I think he's speaking to you, to us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we read the early church, and the church today, but the early church was spirit-filled and spirit-empowered. Then, the second verse that leapt out to me, was the last verse. That last verse we've already read twice, and I'm going to read it a third time. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The believers were bold. They were reckless, as we sang earlier today. Uh, they were wholehearted in following and proclaiming and loving Jesus. And then the third verse, which is still one of my, is definitely one of my favourite passages, is that end of chapter 2. But it is one of these progress reports. It's the progress report after that first sermon of Peter's. Every day, this new church continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Every day they broke bread in their homes, and every day they ate together, and every day they had glad and sincere hearts, and every day they praised God. And every day they enjoyed the favour of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Relentless, beautiful growth then followed, personally in the hearts and corporately, growth. And that, for me, is the overall theme of Acts, growth. Growth. 
Miranda, do you remember a few, we had that dinner and we both sensed the Lord give us a word for the church at the time, growth. Do you remember that? Growth, that for me is the theme of Acts. Acts is a story about the growth in the hearts and minds and lives of the followers of Jesus. Spirit-empowered growth, bold growth, wholehearted growth, continuous growth, beautiful growth. The core dynamic driving the narrative of Acts forward is the bubbling, fizzing Holy Spirit working in individual, unschooled, ordinary people to enable them to keep on growing in their love of Jesus, their knowledge of Jesus, their obedience to Jesus and their capacity to follow Jesus recklessly. This beautiful aliveness then spills out into transformed communities, into transformed relationships and systems and structures, and in turn leads to more people encountering Jesus and then being filled by the fizzing, bubbling, loving um, spirit. On Friday, and this is the last, I'm just closing, on Friday I interviewed Tina, who is the director of mission and all sorts of things in Oxford Diocese, which is a huge diocese, I discovered. Um, and they are leading a disciple-making approach across um, that is beginning to produce some really beautiful fruit and growth. And in his heart, it's incredibly simple. It asks us, it asks them to intentionally and regularly ask two simple questions of ourselves, but to be intentional about it and to do it regularly and to do it in the company of another follower of Jesus. And simply to ask ourselves this, intentionally, regularly, in the company of another Jesus follower. Today, in what ways is the Spirit encouraging you, nudging you, prompting you, inviting you to grow as a more wholehearted and reckless follower of Jesus? And the second question, today, in what ways is the Spirit encouraging you, nudging you, prompting you, inviting you, to bring Jesus more into the lives of those around you. The kingdom of God is always about growth, continuous and never-ending. There is always more, always more. We never arrive, not in this life. Today, in what specific ways is the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, calling you to grow as a reckless follower and lover of Jesus? Amen.